Well, it's an honor to be back in this pulpit again today as we spend some time together on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, and we continue our series of messages on the attitudes and actions of a Christian. Don't you just love church? So many good things. Wasn't that music just something? That was just, my goodness, knock your socks off. What a wonderful experience that was. I'm thankful for church. Some of my most memorable experiences in life have, have happened in church. I got saved in church as probably a huge percentage of you all did. Found the Lord as your personal Savior and got baptized in a church. I got baptized in a borrowed baptistry because the little country church where I was saved didn't even have a baptistry. And it was wintertime, so they couldn't baptize me in the creek. I guess they could have, but I appreciate the fact they didn't. Another one of my memorable experiences in church when I was pastoring, this, this memorable experience started way back in 1916. There was a Pancho Villa, those of you that know your New Mexico history know that Pancho Villa raided into Columbus, New Mexico in 1916. It was in March of that year. And on his way to Columbus, he passed by Chihuahua, Mexico, and there were some Anglo folks by the name of Wright that had a ranch down near Chihuahua. And as he and his thousand-man army went by that ranch, he killed Mr. Wright and took Mrs. Wright, Maud Wright, as a captive. And they took her, and, and, and Pancho Villa told her, he said, if you can survive the ride to Columbus, then I'll let you go when we get there. And so they made that nine-day ride to Columbus, New Mexico. They made the raid there, and when it was all over, sure enough, they let Maud Wright go. One thing that had happened, though, that she was most concerned about, her two-year-old son, Johnny, had been left alone back at the ranch. And Back at the ranch, though, they had a Mexican lady that worked for them that took care of little Johnny. Well, Maud Wright was given, she, her clothes were completely worn out and so on, and the uh, colonel in charge of the army station there at Columbus, New Mexico, had his wife there, and she gave Maud Wright some clothes, lent her some clothes that she could wear. And so Maud was taken to El Paso, uh, President Woodrow Wilson sent a two-car train down to Chihuahua, Mexico to pick up little two-year-old Johnny, and he brought Johnny up to El Paso, and there's this wonderful photograph of Maud Wright in her borrowed dress holding little two-year-old Johnny, and they both had a great big smile on their face. When Johnny Wright was 84 years old, I got to baptize him. He accepted the Lord. He accepted the Lord, and I got to baptize him in the church where I was pastor at the time. And, you know, good things happen in church sometimes, don't they? 
And sometimes funny things happen in church. I was uh, leading singing for a friend of mine at uh, First Baptist Church in Plainview. Ron Etheridge was the music director there. It was a pretty good-sized church. They had a balcony and uh, had a full house that day. And I had just finished leading singing and sat down. It was when, when all of us sat on the platform in those days. And I was sitting on the platform, and Dr. Carlos McLeod, was the pastor, and he stood up to preach, and he was just into his sermon good, and a cat jumped over the balcony rail and landed on the folks down underneath. And you'd think that Carlos could just continue his sermon, but not so. This seemed to have been a feral cat, and you could see the progress of the cat by watching the reaction of the folks all all over the auditorium, and we just had to shut down church for a while while the, while the ushers ushered the cat out, and it, and it took several minutes, but it was kind of a special moment in church. <laughs> Interesting things happen in church. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote a, had a lot of memorable experiences in church, and he wrote a lot of interesting letters, and some of them were to churches. One of the interesting experiences the Apostle Paul had in church was when he was, uh, uh, when he was preaching and a fellow by the name of Eutychus went to sleep in the window. Remember that story? Eutych- they were up on the third floor and Eutychus went to sleep and Paul just didn't know how to cut his sermon short enough to keep people awake. And Eutychus went to sleep and he fell out and it killed him. But, but he came back to life. So it ended up a good story. But interesting things happen in church sometimes. Well, toward the end of his first letter to Thessalonica, Paul takes time to outline some specific attitudes Christians should have. Again, we're doing my series on attitudes and actions of Christians. And I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. And there's like a dozen attitudes and actions in this passage. I'm going to focus on three of them after I've read it to you. But I want you to see a whole list of them here, and you can underline them in your Bible as we go through, uh, because it's one of those passages that just keeps on telling you things that you need to be concentrating on in your life. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. I'm reading from the New International Version. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, to warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other. And to everyone else, be, here are my three main points for today's message. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. That means don't be gullible. 
hold on to the good, and avoid every kind of evil. What a list of attitudes and actions that Christians need to be about. But we're going to go back and focus on the three things that I just got through mentioning to you. The first one was be joyful always in verse 16. Philippians 4, 4 puts it like this, rejoice in the Lord always. Then again, I will say rejoice. Does this mean that you are a weak Christian if you're not always happy? Is that what that's saying? If you're not always happy? Well, let's think about that a minute. I'll tell you what it's not always saying. Here's what it, what it does not mean. It does not mean that Christians are not supposed to grieve. There are times when it's fully appropriate to grieve. Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible. You remember Jesus at Lazarus, when Lazarus died? Jesus wept. He grieved. Jesus never sinned. It's fully appropriate sometimes for us to grieve. Does it mean that we're not supposed to be sad? Do you remember when Jesus was getting ready to go into Jerusalem and he, he was on the mountain overlooking the city of Jerusalem and he said, oh, Jerusalem, wouldn't you just pay attention? You've got me here now. I'm the Messiah this hurts so bad. Jesus, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but it, he's saying, you, you've got me here right now. Won't you just pay attention? I'm the Messiah you've been looking for. He was sad as he got ready to go in and spend his last week on earth in Jerusalem. No, sometimes it's appropriate to be sad. It does not mean that we're supposed to act like an idiot trying to cheer up those who are hurting. Like, come on, smile now. Give me a smile. Let's turn that frown upside down. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just need to be a friend to somebody in those situations, right? There was a comic strip, the, the, the Peanuts comic strip came out with one one time where Snoopy is sitting in the snow shivering and Linus and, uh, and uh, Charlie Brown are both wearing their warm coats with their hat on and everything and both of them walk by and, and Charlie Brown pats Snoopy on the head and says, be of good cheer, Snoopy. And Linus pats him on the head and says, yes, Snoopy, be of good cheer. And they walk on by smiling. And in the last frame, Snoopy's still sitting there shivering in the snow. You know, sometimes pretty little words don't really mean much, do they? Here's what it does say. The verse that says, be joyful always, does say, have a relationship with Jesus Christ that brings an attitude of peace and an overarching joy that you can have in the midst of the storm. That even when the tough times are with you, when hard things are going on, you can still have that relationship, that peace and joy that is a part of having that relationship with Jesus Christ in the midst of the storm. Back in uh, 2001, I was in Washington, D.C., 
and uh, was able to attend the reunion of my Vietnam battalion. And one of the people that I was anxious to see that, that was there at the reunion was my old radio gunnery sergeant. His name was Gunny Eller. Gunny Eller was at the reunion, and, and he and I got a chance to sit down together. He had always treated me well. I was just an E3 Lance Corporal, and, and he was an E7 Gunnery Sergeant, but he had always treated me with respect, and I appreciated that. And so we sat down and started sharing our stories about what we had done since we were, uh, since we were in Vietnam together. And Gunny Eller says, uh, said, well, you know, you won't believe this. And he knew that I'd been in the ministry and that I'd, I'd stayed in the, in the Marine Corps uh, Reserve and active duty as well. And he said, uh, uh, you won't believe this, but he said, uh, I went into the ministry as well. I said, really? Would have never guessed it based on the way I knew him in Vietnam. <laughs> He's, he, he said, uh, uh, yeah, he said, I quit school when I was 14 and then uh, joined the Marine Corps as early as I could when I was 17. But while I was in the Marine Corps, I got my GED. And then he retired when he was 37 years old as an E-8, which is a master sergeant. That's a nice career for 20 years. And then he said, Jesus saved me. And he said, not long after I was saved, I felt that he was calling me into the ministry. And so he said, I went to college at Duke University and then I got my master's degree in theology at the Duke Seminary. And then I got my doctorate. Would you believe that? And I said, wow, way to go, Gunny. He said, I'm not a Gunny, I'm a master sergeant. I said, well, way to go, Gunny. Because <laughs> I was a colonel, I could say that. <laughs> and, and I said, but I'd always known him as Gunny, Gunny Eller. And, and so I said, way to go. That's wonderful. And he said, so I pastored a church. He was a, he was a Methodist. He pa pastored a Methodist church. And he said, and, and then the seminary invited me to come back to teach courses in the seminary. So I became a seminary professor after dropping out of school at 14 years old. Isn't that great? And I said, way to go, man. And he said, and now I'm dying. I said, you're dying? How long have you got left? He said, three weeks. I said, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. And he said, it's okay. You know, God's bigger. And I've got great places that I'm headed as soon as this, this life is over. And I, at that time, I was interim pastor at Centerville Baptist Church, which was a good-sized church not far away from D.C. Some of you all know where that is. And they had three Sunday morning services. And so I said, uh, uh, Gunny, I want to invite you to come to Centerville. This was on Saturday we were talking. I said, tomorrow morning, I'm going to preach three times at, at Centerville, and I want you to come out and be my guest at Centerville. And let me introduce you to the folks there at, at, in my church services. Would you do that? And he said, you bet. His wife was with him, and I told her how to drive him out there. And so when we got to the services at Centerville, uh, each time I told his story, and I said, and, and he said, now I'm dying. I said, and folks, here's Gunny Eller right here. Gunny, stand up. And the house just went, you know, they just applauded so much, and they were so great. And then I said, Gunny, why don't you say a couple of words? And he said, uh, okay, I will. And they handed him a microphone, and he said, you know, I found out there are five great things about being terminal. He said that. 
Five great things, and I don't remember what all of them were, but I wrote down three of them. Three, three of the great things about being, I'm talking about attitudes of a Christian. Three of the great things about being terminal. One of them, he said, I have more money than I'll ever spend. <laughs> three weeks. Another one, he says, I can be completely honest in everything I say. And the third one I remember, he said, I have a wonderful sense of what matters, of what's important. What a peaceful, positive attitude, a sense of joy, no matter what the circumstances. That's what I'm talking about, Christians, is that when we have that relationship with Jesus Christ, we can have that sense of joy no matter what the circumstances. And sure enough, three weeks later, Gunny Eller was dead. But he carried that right with him all the way to heaven. The second verse, verse 17. Pray continually. It means a constant attitude of prayer. It means that Jesus Christ is right beside you all the time. Of course, the Holy Spirit is living in you because you've accepted Christ as your Savior. But Jesus Christ is right there. You can talk to him about anything all the time. Do you, are you one of those people that does that? I hope you are. That when you see something pretty, the sun rising over the Sandias when you get up in the morning, it's one of those days when the clouds are right there and the sun hits the clouds underneath. You know what I'm talking about? It's such that beautiful sunrise. And you just talk to Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus. That's so beautiful. And you just talk to him. That's what I'm talking about, where you pray continually. Or you've got a heartache. Something's sad. Something's grieving you. Something's painful. And you just say, oh, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. How about giving me some insight? Just talk to him. Pray continually. Prayer, that means something. James 5, 6 says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Righteous being an operative term. We need to be a person who has that relationship with Christ. That means that we're, and Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That we're trying to do what God wants us to do in our lives. That we have that relationship that puts us in a righteous relationship with him. Prayer, we pray not just to talk, but we also pray to listen. Prayer is one of the ways that God communicates with us. When we pray, if we go to the Lord, if we take our issues before the Lord, and if we take time to just quietly sit and listen, just take a deep breath. All right, Lord, I've talked to you. I've asked Give me a sense of the next step to take, would you? And sometimes the next step to take is to do absolutely nothing. Sometimes it's not, there's not a big thing to do yet. Maybe it's just to do nothing and wait on the Lord. Or maybe it's to go and you know in the back of your heart, yeah, I'm supposed to go to somebody and talk to them. Or maybe it's something else. I don't know. God knows. 
or may, but listen to God. You know, uh, Henry Blackaby, when he did his uh, Experiencing God, probably some of you all have done the study Experiencing God. One of the things that Blackaby says is there are four primary ways that God speaks to us. One of them is through prayer, when we talk to him and we listen for him to talk back to us. Another one is through reading the Bible. Another one is through listening to the counsel of godly people. He says through the church in, in, in uh, Blackaby. And the other one is through circumstances of life. There are four interesting ways that God talks to us. And you don't want to listen normally to just one of those. You, you, you pull them all together and listen to all of them and let God speak to you and be ready to listen. So pray and be ready to listen also. And then prayer puts us in touch with God's awesome plan. Then we get involved with his plan, learning to let go and let God have his wonderful way. God has a plan. Let's learn what it is and get involved in it. By the way, have you ever just suddenly had a sense that God wanted you to pray for somebody or to pray for a situation. If you haven't, you need to get your prayer life going a little bit stronger, I think. Just sometimes have a sense that, yeah, there's something that I need to be praying about. Take those moments very seriously. If the Holy Spirit nudges you that you need to be praying about something, just start talking. If you're driving along, don't close your eyes, okay? But, if, but take that very seriously. Just start talking to the Lord about the thing that it is that, that, uh, that the Lord is impressing you that you need to pray about. My dad woke up my mother on July the 20, the night of July the 28th, 1967. And he said, Martha Lee, we need to be praying for Joe right now. And he said, I don't know what's going on, but we need to pray for Joe. And I found out about it a week later or so when I got a letter saying, was there a particular reason that we needed to be praying for you on the night of July the 28th? Well, that was the afternoon of July the 29th in Vietnam. And my battalion with me in it was engaged in a horrible battle that lasted all day, July the 29th, and through the night that night, we took horrendous casualties. And uh, it was just one of those horrible things. But Papa got nudged by the Holy Spirit that they needed to pray. That feels almost like a twilight zone thing, doesn't it? But it was the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Now, that wasn't the only time he felt like he needed to pray for me. But that was one of those times where it was so obvious that the Holy Spirit knew what was going on and that prayer needed was appropriate. When you feel those nudgings, pray because it's really serious. Okay? Pray continually. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Before you answer, let me say this. The, it's not the prayer or the manner of prayer that is powerful. It is the one to whom we are praying. I say that to warn you against superstition. You, it's not whether you do this 
or whether you are holding beads or whether you face a certain direction or whether you do this, that, or the other. It is the one to whom we are praying who has the power. And we can pray wherever we are or in whatever position we are. God is the one who knows our prayer. The main thing is for us to be sincere. Now, I like the idea of getting in a quiet place and having just no disturbances and all of that. But the, the power comes from the relationship with him. And so it is God who has the strength. And, and it's fine to say, yeah, there's power in prayer because there really is. But it is the one to whom we pray that has that power. And so we offer our prayers to God Almighty. Now then, the third attitude. And that's why we're going to have this special day coming up on Thursday. The third attitude is give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The principle is have a thankful heart. This gives us a positive rather than a negative outlook. Thank you, Jesus, for always being there, no matter what the circumstances in my life. Thank you that I can have the confidence that you love me and that you are going to be beside me, whatever is happening. That when I am going through painful experiences that I never saw coming in my family life or in the workplace, or wherever it may be. I never saw it coming, God. I don't, what did I do to deserve this? But one thing I know, through it all, you're beside me. You got my back because you love me. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. The principle is have a thankful heart. This gives us that positive outlook. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In every circumstance, see if you can find something to be thankful about. R.G. Lee is a great pastor in Tennessee. Got robbed one time. And he said he was thankful that he was the one that got robbed and he wasn't the robber. <laughs> you know, you can find something to be thankful about in almost every circumstance. How can we have a thankful heart? That passage in Philippians 4 goes on to tell us how. Philippians 4 verse 8 is that very familiar passage that lists all the things that we need to be thinking about. The things that you think about, what you spend your time dwelling on, the reading material, the thoughts that you spend your time uh, uh, on, all of that is the kind of person that you become. And do you, are, do you have a thankful heart? Are you a person who, who dwells on godly things? Well, verse 8 of Philippians 4 says this. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And that fits right in with having a thankful heart. Thank you, God, that you've taught me all of these things to be. And then it makes life so much more worthwhile. It is amazing the kinds of positive things that can happen in our lives when we take Paul's instruction to heart. So just what should we thank God for this Thanksgiving? Of course, we thank God for for life. We thank him for our material blessings and for our nation and for our friends and, and all of that. But not only what we have, but who we have, we can thank God for. It's still about the relationship. We thank God for being the kind of father he is. And we can sing, Father, I adore you. Lay my life before you. How I love you. And mean it because we thank God for being the kind of father he is. We thank God for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus went away, he said, I will send the comforter to make you feel really bad when you mess up. No. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is here to convict, but he's the comforter to give us a sense of warmth in his presence, the Holy Spirit. We can sing, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Thank you, God, for sending the Holy Spirit. We can thank him for the fellowship of the church. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Oh, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Everywhere I've gone, the Marine Corps has sent me all over the world, and I, almost every place I've been, I have found Christians of the, of the country in which I've been, and there is an immediate bond. Why? Because we've all got the Holy Spirit. We're, we're, and y'all have, many of y'all have had exactly the same spirits, right? The Holy Spirit has brought us together. The family of God, we're everywhere in this world. And we're immediately bound together. Oh, it's, that's something for which to be, to be thankful. And we can be thankful for our family, the spouse, the kids, our parents, our grandparents. Sometimes that's... That makes life worth living, having those people in our lives. But most of all, we thank God for the freedom we have as children of the King, joint heirs with Jesus. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ our Lord, and we have freedom from guilt and slavery to sin. He put an end to my guilt and despair, turned bitter hating to sweet peace and love. 
Even the men who hung him up there were offered forgiveness and life from above. Just to think of the cross moves me now. The nails in his hands, his bleeding brow, to think of the cross moves me now. It should have been me. It should have been me. Instead, I am free. I am free. Thank God Almighty, I am free through Jesus Christ. Thank God, I am free. Boy, do I have something to be thankful for. Thank you, Jesus. John 8, 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Folks, attitudes and actions of a Christian, be thankful because we are free and we're not condemned and he will never let us go. Do you mess up? Oh yeah. Do you break the fellowship with Christ? Yeah. That's why we go back and repent. We don't go back and repent again to restore our salvation. That's already taken care of. We go back and repent again to restore the relationship to where it needs to be so that we can enjoy the freedom from guilt and the freedom that we need in Christ. We thank God Almighty for the freedom we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. Please bow your heads with me now for just a moment. Have you experienced this freedom in Christ? Do you know him personally? Now, my messages in this series are to people who have prayed to receive Christ. And maybe you're on the outside looking in. You don't know Christ personally. But you can. You can become one of this group of folks who has this personal relationship with Christ that we're talking about. You can do that right now where you are, where you're sitting. You can simply talk to Christ and give your life to him. Where you are, you can say to Jesus Christ, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to have this happiness, this joy, this freedom. Oh, I want to experience these kinds of, of wonderful things in my life that we're talking about. I want you to come in to be my Lord and my master and to prepare a place in heaven for me when my life is over here. Jesus, right now, I recognize that I am a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's nothing new. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned. Romans 6.23 says the penalty for sin is death. That means we've all sinned and we all must die or death must pay for our sin. But the one way out is to accept Jesus' death as payment for our sin. So when you talk to Jesus, you say, Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know my sin must be paid for by death. And right now I accept your death as payment for my sin and I invite you into my life to become my Lord and Master. I want to give myself to you right now. Please come in. 
Would you do that? Would you talk to him right now? Make him the master of your life. We're going to have counselors standing at the front right now. If you would like to give your life to Christ and you're not sure what to do next, we encourage you to get up from your seats and come up to the front and talk to one of the counselors. They're here for exactly for that purpose, to talk to you about the next step to be taken so that you can be assured of your salvation through Jesus Christ. Would you do that? Just get up and come talk to one of these folks that will tell you how you can know Jesus Christ personally. This is the time right now. Or perhaps you are a Christian and you want to recommit your life to Christ. You're just saying, you know, I've let Christ slip off the throne of my heart by actions that I have done and attitudes I've had. And today I want to make a public recommitment of my life to Christ. I encourage you to make that visit with the counselor as well. Now congregation, would you please stand still in an attitude of prayer. Would you please stand still praying If you have a commitment to make to Christ, please make it right now. Have you learned to let go and let God have his wonderful way? Can you thank him this morning for saving your soul now and for eternity? Dear Jesus, we thank you for the blessed privilege of meeting together today to worship you and to having, for having you in our lives. We thank you for the experiences that we've had. We thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the Word of God that we have that we can learn from. And now we pray that we will take seriously the Bible and the communication we have through it and from you. Bless us as we go from this place. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.